0: Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. The podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor.
1: Hello, my friend. Today we're going to talk about thought leadership. Whether it involves writing or speaking, there are some key lessons here that you or the people you are working with should consider. It all goes to trust and credibility. How do we get that in our communications? Before we start, I know you're excited about planning season. You're probably decorating your house or office with spreadsheets, charts, and post-it notes of every color, right? Are you doing anything different this year? What kind of content are you considering? I have some ideas about thought leadership content for you, and it's not a series of podcast episodes. If you wanna know more, schedule a chat with me through the Calendly link in the show notes. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Brian Morgan. Brian Morgan is with me today. He is the president of Think Deeply, Write Clearly. Brian, welcome.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Chris. Thank you for your time. Thank
1: you, this is gonna be really fun. I'm going to try to describe what you do, and then I'm going to let you probably do it better. But Brian helps people with all kinds of writing. And the name of his business, in my experience, because I'm taking an online course from him, it's, um, it's more about thinking than it is about the writing. I mean, it's so that you're thinking well that what you put down on the paper is worth consuming. Now I'll let you fix that. Well, how would you say it differently?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I would. I would say you did. You did a great job. Um, so the company is called Think Deeply, Write Clearly, and that was coined when I was working at a very well-known engineering firm in New York City. And when we got to this moment where people, one of the biggest difficulties in that firm was the amount of time the managers were spending fixing documents. And so they sort of looked at me, I was the managing editor there and said, stop editing, start teaching people how to write. And I said, we don't have a writing problem. Everybody here went to Harvard. (laughs) We don't have a writing problem. We have a thinking problem that's showing up in the writing. And that's what's killing management weekend. And if we're going to solve this issue, we got to solve it as a matter, as, as a matter of, of looking at the critical thinking. How do we know that the things we know are true, are true? And how does somebody else recognize the value of a credible state? And then you start realizing that clear language is very different than credible language. And so I would say, Maybe the advancement or hopefully the advancement that, that my company is sort of putting into the space, and you're right, it's being used in marketing and it's being used in corporations. It's really being used kind of all over, um, is recognizing that there are two aspects. There's the quality of the idea being transferred, and then there's the clarity of the delivery of the transfer. And we have to handle both of them. So think deeply right Yeah, now.
1: It makes total sense. There are definitely people who need to write more clearly, but behind all of that, what I'm getting out of your course is how to really think about what you're going to put down there. So as you say, how do you know the things you know are true and, um, found you on LinkedIn because of some comment you made somewhere about, um, someone speaking on a news interview. Um, but there was nothing behind what that person said, uh, but I started looking into what you're doing and I know a lot of my audience has a probably a strong interest in thought leadership or marketing. And so the first question is, is thought leadership content and social media content marketing the same thing?
0: They, they can be, but they most often aren't. And so let's get subtle here for a second. Um, Information moves on the assumptions of, that somebody makes when they deliver that information. And so I know that's complicated, but that's sort of true. So information moves on the assumptions that we make. And so what I would say from my experience is that people who advise other people in say, the marketing or quote, content marketing space, Are advising on certain assumptions and those assumptions are, hey, get your name out there. Be known. Put a lot of content out there. So volume, right? Be top of mind. Be and all those things are good. And and but then the question becomes, well, how do you deliver that information? And you can be top of mind by doing a lot of things. For instance, I know who the Kardashians are, but I will never buy, you know. Kardashian soap or whatever it is that they sell right and so and so and so I know who they are but they have not uh, you know established a lot of trust at least with me personally and so and there are a lot of people say on LinkedIn or on Instagram or in politics even who I know who they are but they have not established a lot of trust so I would say content marketing broadly speaking is marketers. If I had to get cynical about it, trying not to identify the most meaningful parts of the business to their client's audience. And so they say, well, if you just simply do these five or seven things, you'll be well known. First of all, I'm not sure that that's true in a very noisy market anymore. So that might even be outdated advice. Secondly, even if it were true, you can still be a Kardashian and and someone isn't willing to buy your soap. And so there's, and so then all of a sudden the question becomes, well, how do we establish trust with content? And that's where I think we've headed into thought leadership, where now it's, okay, while I have your attention, can I show you what I think you're probably going through, and can I show you why I approach these issues this way? Does that happen in content on LinkedIn? Yes, I would say that's the bulk of what we do and it's the bulk of why we've been successful on LinkedIn. Does it happen in other places? Absolutely. That's what New York Times essays used to be and some still are. That's what Wall Street Journal essays used to be and some still are. That's what Forbes essays and the Atlantic essays and that right and so all of a sudden, you know, Fast Company some things on salon.com. So all of a sudden you start to realize that when you start looking at it as thought leadership, it's not just look at me advertising billboarding, it's actually now where can I go in front of my clients or other people who might need this information where I can transparently show the quality of my thinking and be trusted with somebody's decision and help people make decisions there. And and now you're into sort of thought leadership. So I would say content marketing uh, is is not traditionally that, but it can be that. And thought leadership is that plus other things.
1: Right. So content marketing can be all kinds of content. Thought leadership is a specific kind, which you have defined very well as establishing trust with your own approach so that people will say – I, this is a person I want to take advice from, or do business with. So it's not, um, is it restricted to social media? Um, Does thought leadership have a place in traditional marketing?
0: I think it does. And this is, I think this is almost new, Chris. Um, I'm really finding this. So I'd actually be interested in your, your thoughts on this, because there's some sense that you have interesting thoughts, but but I think the funnel pages and the 45 minute webinars that people used to do and all of that stuff are way outdated now. And if we really think about what's happening, like if we really kind of break down the structure of somebody receiving content or information, there is a level of understanding that a person has, and that a market has. So, so we'll just we'll just take, uh, you know, dietitians are gonna say calories in and calories out, right? That's like that's like the general market noise of of that. Well, that's not really new. So you can go on a funnel and describe for someone, hey calories in, calories out, and I'll help you track that. And you should pay me $1,000 a month to be your nutrition coach. And you might not get anywhere. And so now the question is, well, when they arrive on that funnel page or when they arrive on that ad or when they arrive, how do you display that you have pieces of information that the noise of the market hasn't told that person already? And that is something that I think we've missed because there used to be a barrier to entry to noise. You had to you had to pay really heavily to get on TV or or newspaper ads or whatever. but you don't do that anymore. like very very, very dumb people can put their thoughts out there in front of you today. right and so and so there's a ton of noise out there. And the real question is when that person gets to your funnel page, when that person gets to your ad, when that are, are you displaying that you can be trusted beyond the level of the noise and I think that is fairly new in marketing and I would say most marketers are very late to under to understanding that and compensating for that and so I think we're looking at thought leadership being the tactic of let's just say the next 20 years that, that it is a question of I know on YouTube what you're gonna say to me if you're mediocre what I wanna know and pay for is what are you going to say to me if you're really an expert, and and then the question, you know, what's interesting to me, and I'd be interested in your your thoughts on this. All of a sudden, you find out that not everybody's an expert in the services they sell, <laughs> and that's right. a, very, <laughs> it's a very interesting thing, right? It, uh, that that's a very interesting thing, and but it this will this this will make that clear, and I think the consumer is going to force us into that over the course of, of the next decade and, and 20 years or whatever. You, you probably know that we, we do very well. I mean, you probably saw that in our course. And so wh- one of the things is, well, you don't have all that many followers. How come you're doing well and, and you've got repeatable income and it's, and it's pretty good income and all that kind of stuff? I and mean, it's like because the people that we are in contact with think that we are experts in the field. And I could go out to billions of people and not be an expert and get no clients. And so where is trust earned and where is fast credibility earned? It's earned in the thing that the amateur can't say, that the professional can that the expert can And I think that our job is going to be going into the future. Let's let's get those 15, 30, 45 words out so the people see the expertise that somebody's presenting to a problem.
1: Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned it's sort of – the expert or the thought leader is adding something new to the conversation that no one else is. I want to hear about how you got started. You mentioned something to me about a long form Ogilvy essay. So now I'm very curious about that. Tell me, tell me what that is. And then we'll come back to new and so on.
0: That's I Thank you for that. Um, I love it. Well, it's actually a reference point. It's, it's not something that got me started, but but I found it reassuring. What's interesting, David Ogilvie is, as many people on your listening probably know is, you know, was one of the world's best copywriters. And, and if you look at his first ad, it's very long, right? So traditional marketing right now is going to say, write short stuff, there's, there's short attention span. Uh, let's be honest, there's short attention span because most stuff sucks. So, but if you have value to give, people have attention to give. So the, so the real question is not their attention span. The question is your value. That seems to be lost by a tremendous amount of people who should know better, and, but not lost on Ogilvy. It was very long and it was very transparent. Tell us
1: which one it is, because I know was, there, I think there my, must be people in this audience, and I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm guessing that when you say it, I'm going to go, oh, yeah, I know that one.
0: You know, uh, I could oh. Google it now, but I but I couldn't okay. actually tell you, it, but it, but I think it was life insurance, it was it was life insurance or it was bonds okay. or it was something like that. And it was long. It was I mean, it was it was a, it was like, a, like a half a page letter to to, you know, on the Wall Street Journal It was long. And it detailed exactly what the I think the bond, how the bond market works, and why they think that this is a good offer. And it converted like heck it, it, and, and it's like, well, why did it convert like heck? Because this was someone explaining to people something that they did not know transparently and in a trustworthy manner. And but what did that person have to be? They had to be an expert. It was a piece of thought leadership. They had to be an expert. They couldn't just say, do you want to make more money on your bonds than you're making on your CDs? Oh, no, that's pain point marketing. This was different. This was transparency. And transparency does two things. It earns a tremendous amount of trust, number one, and it makes you really vulnerable if you're not that good. And it's, it's gonna do both of those things. If, if I can be very transparent about my stupidity, well, thank you for that, and you <laughs> have been, right? Like, that can happen, right? And so, and so if we wanna earn trust, then we can earn it more quickly through transparency. And as long as people can learn from us, we can keep their attention span. But you really have to be an honest to God expert. Uh, and that to me is where this is all going. That, that in, in five years, people who are trading on pain points are going to say, look, I, I got 14 people telling me calories in, calories out, and I, and I could pretty much do it based on myself and what I've already learned on YouTube. I need the expert." to tell me that thing that I don't have. Tell me how glyconeogenesis happens in the liver, so that I know when to work, like, oh, okay. Like, can you play that game there? No. Then I'm gonna hire somebody who can. Right? That's that's where this is going. And I th- and I think the marketing world is is behind on it. But strangely, the world's best copywriter wasn't. The world's best copywriter understood this from the get-go. We just bastardized it over time. We just we just forgot that that was true over
1: time. Yeah, so, I mean, thought leadership, it sounds like. It's you're adding something new to the conversation or you're saying something that no one else has said. I mean, leadership, sort of by that definition, you're taking people in a new direction. Yeah. And um, so I like what you're saying there. And the expertise has to be there. Based on, so I've been through four or five lessons in your course, I'm not going to give it all away, but um, I'm learning about how the word that stands out to me that you use frequently is nuance. And you seem to have a, a framework of asking why this, then why, and a lot of whys all the way down to be able to come to a conclusion, but then also hang all those things out for people to see. And I'm trying to think where I'm going with this. But it's also – so that's the thinking behind it. I guess I'm trying to tie that into the expertise and asking, you know, do I need to be an outright expert in that field? And what it sounds – it looks like to me is I need to at least have thought about these things and put some logic behind what I'm about to tell you through research or whatever, which is your – investigation framework
0: yeah beautiful so so thank you for the shout out for the course as well the here's here's what I think we're dancing around um, every sentence is inferring a structure of information and that's okay language by its nature is abstract so when I say you know coffee cup a physical coffee cup does not fly out of my mouth. And you go, oh, that's what he means, right? Like, like, like so, so it is a reference point. So, so if we really had to break down what happens in credible communication, the question is, is my reference point useful to you? And if it is useful to you, but you don't know it, can I make it useful to you? That becomes the job of the writer, right? So I have to then say, okay, you 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 might not know what a coffee cup is. Let me describe it. It's ceramic and it's got a handle on it, and it's got right, so it's got structure, right? And so so everything that we do has structure. Credibility is going to be the ability of somebody to detail that structure. Now, one of the things that you're inferring, I think, by the question is, well. Can only really, really deep experts use thought leadership in their content? Or, and it's like, well, yes and no, because everybody has, an, has credibility over their observations. What they see in the world, they have every right to see. So, for, so for instance, I have the right to say, I think the world is flat. I don't know that a lot of people would agree with me, but I have the right to say it. And so, and if you were to say, "Well, why do you think that, Brian?" and I would say, "Because I look out at the horizon line and I see it's flat, and so I think the world is flat." And you might say, "That's not my understanding," but but it's allowed. It's allowed to be yours. That it, that's okay that it's yours. So if you're worried, of I'm not quite sure that what I'm saying is is deep enough display the observation and then I'm going to give your audience here a couple words that are going to change their lives if they wanna implement this those words are I've been reflecting on or I've been thinking about or as I look back on those sorts of words and you have just opened up an inherently credible space for your observations so what's the game here? Detail your observations, but if you're trying to get business through it, the audience will choose whether or not those observations are of use to them. So I can say, I've been reflecting on everybody saying the world is round. This is how I see it. Whenever I look at the horizon line it's flat. I think the world is flat. I just think it's anti-science to say anything else. Um I might not get any clients, but 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 I am making a credible statement to me, but but I might not get any clients, and so and so I've been thinking about, it, I've been wondering about, it, I've been etc etc. You can own the creative space, what we call the sandbox there, and then let the audience decide whether or not you're you're meeting their expectations for new information, right? And so that's one way to to not have to handle what you're talking about right now which is which is well how deep of an expert do i need to be in order to use this strategy to to you know show the credibility of my thinking but no, did you I answered answer
1: exactly the question that i was trying to ask like do i need to be an absolute expert then i you know and it's a little bit of a different approach because many people teaching writing would encourage you not to say i think xyz right? They, you yeah. should say, if you believe it, you should say it. But, yeah. and I also know, you know, from seeing your work, that there's more behind it, you're going to say, I think this, and then you're going to lay out the reasons that you think x, y, and z. And that's where
0: the credibility in so the core question of language becomes, how does one person Who is fundamentally ignorant transfer a piece of valuable information to somebody else who is fundamentally ignorant right like like now it's like oh my gosh how do we do that and because we don't think of human comprehension this way because because we much prefer to think about the structure of writing this way but not about the structure of listening or reading or or comprehending So if I was just going to say the structure of writing, then I would do what the writing teachers say, which is state the thing that you know is true, except here's the problem. The thing that I know is true is not necessarily the same way Chris comprehends the same information. And I've got to understand that if I'm going to be credible for him and with him and together make the best decisions with him. So then what do I have to do Pin it to I, that's easy, right? So in thought leadership, you can pin it to I. But we do the same thing with very significant organizations in the world. We, we, we're hired to teach writing at very significant or with billions and trillions often of of dollars attached to the decisions that they make. And and well, how do you do it there? Pin it to studies. Pin it to but pin it. Don't don't just state it, and this is something that I would say the politicians do not understand, and the marketers do not understand. That, but that that we we go on and we say corporate tax rates should be twenty six percent, based on what? And <laughs> it's not that it's right or wrong. It's just based on what. And so you can say studies indicate, or small business, uh, if we're going to pay down the deficit in the next hundred years, then. It might need to be 28% or something, or small business employment changes at 27%, so I think it should be 26 But what are we pinning this information to? If it isn't I, what is it pinned to? At which point we start to realize that all of this stuff, all of the writing stuff was built around, I just want, I want you to know what I clearly think, and that was useless to you. What was actually helpful to you was the stuff we never learned how to say, which is what are the assumptions that I am making? What are the assessments that I am making that say this is why I think it might be useful. Chris, you seem to be a guy who cares about the tax rates. Let me explain to you how I'm looking at the situation or how studies have dictated. Um, that the, that maybe the optimal tax rate might be around 26 percent, as I see it. Let me let me dis- or as the Federal Reserve sees it, or as the government sees it, or as the Democrats see it, or the Republicans see it, or whatever. But let's put it into language so that it's penned. And when we don't recognize comprehension, we don't do that, and I think we create more noise than we create uh, decision making.
1: Got it. So we're going to come back to those assumptions perhaps a little bit later. I'm curious, I had a question for you about thought leadership in that in your experience, so your observation do does a person who's you know trying to influence an audience, let's say it's an executive, um, and they want people to do business with their company and they they want to become known. Do they typically have a new point of view? Because I find, I mean, I'm gonna say for myself, I had to think recently about what my point of view on certain things is, if I want to attract an audience for my own business, and how do I think about this differently than anyone else? So, do they typically have a point of view and say I want to write about it, or do they sit down and think like I did or had to do? What what would I say differently? Than, what about how I think? Is different than how everybody else thinks.
0: Yeah. So there are a couple of different things in play. One of them is quite strategic, which is what the marketers call brand positioning, and I think it's important. But let's but let's put brand positioning in a thoughtful, aligned way, which I think is more appropriate for you and for me than how most marketers would talk about it. So, um, so let's call brand positioning the thing that you know and can do and can help people see or do that nobody else in your business can. Let's call that brand positioning. Sometimes that's not actually the service itself. Sometimes that's the approach to the service itself. And so for instance, a roofer might have exactly all the same stuff as the next roofer who comes to my house and and the and one and, and the costs are very similar. But one of them sat down at the dinner table with us and said, "I was up on the roof. This is what I'm seeing. This is where I bet you're having trouble. This is where I think." we need to do this if we're looking short-term this is where I think we need to do this if we're looking long-term where are you budget wise where are you right? and the next roofer would come and says yeah I was up on the roof it's gonna be two thousand bucks I can fix it probably the same tool right probably the same tool probably the same quality of work but one of them earned more trust and so what I would suggest to you as you do this investigation for yourself, if you don't mind me coaching you here in front of your clients, um, is, is, is what, I would, what I would suggest to you is that it's not just the service, and that's what the niche people miss, right? All those marketers are, you got to find a niche. They end up saying really like, ridiculous things in order to find a niche, which is dumb, right? And so, and, and so often it's not the service, which is where most marketing advice goes wrong it can be the approach to the service and and it can and it can be the thoughtfulness of that approach and it can literally be the data points that you're willing to share with them to display your credibility in the area that nobody else maybe even knows and so go back to the roofer for a second the roofer might say yeah it's going to be two thousand bucks and they haven't shown a thoughtfulness of approach that makes me doubt whether they know the exact angle or will care about the exact angle of the uh, nails that they're using. But somebody who's showing a very thoughtful approach, I can say, I bet they're gonna do everything they need to do to put, to put the, the nails in the exact right way, right? And so And so sometimes the thoughtfulness of the approach can carry that brand positioning with us. Yeah, does that answer yeah, that it question? does.
1: I mean, uh, and I, I like that. I mean, it comes back to thought leadership can be as simple as displaying your thinking <sighs> to build trust, so it is. right? Because I, you so definitely get yeah. that vibe from people you work with. Like, oh, I'm going to go with them because I know how they think, and I, it makes sense to me. Yeah um yeah. so let's talk about when you're helping someone like me or an organization with a thought leadership piece and the framework you start with like i come to you and i say hey you know i want to become a thought leader around executive communications or pick any example you want
0: yeah sure there are a couple different things let's start with the highest level which will probably be the, the most useful to your audience. The expert is the person who can get deep quick. So that's the person who inside the initial attention span can say I think this is probably from my experience let me detail why I think this is. I think this is probably what's going on and I think this is probably why you're having the issues you have. Does that does that sound reasonable to you? And they go, you nailed it. right?" So the expert can get deep quick. Deep quick infers a bunch of stuff. And what it really infers is that a whole bunch of thinking has been done before the mouth started opening, or the pen started writing. Um, And so and so deep quick, if we actually look at brain science here, you have to be very practiced to be deep quick in anything, right. And so an enormous amount of practice goes is inferred. By the person who is deep, quick. Here's the problem with a lot of executives or whatever. We know most information subconsciously, and we cannot say things that we know subconsciously because language is a you know, conscious expression. And so, if that's the difficulty that we're that we're faced with, what's the only thing we can do? Mind that subconscious understanding and get some language to it and say, wait a minute, you've got this instinct that this proposal going through the conference room right now is nonsense. That It's not going to work well for the company. Oh, you got this instinct, but everybody seems to be going for it. And you got to say something, right? Well, if we don't, have the practice of what are the observations what am I noticing what if we don't have that practice if we haven't if we don't have a a history of that all the things that we teach in that in that course that you're in if we don't have a history of that then I might be tempted to say this is a really dumb idea (laughs) right and the conference room goes why and you go because it's just dumb right and it's like oh man that did not work out for that executive at all but the instinct was probably right so so then the question is how do i say the same thing using all of that using all of that observed language do you guys mind if i share my observations on this cuz i think it's going to help us make a better decision no i don't mind and then you got to know it right? then you got to know it then then you got you got 30 seconds and you got to be able to say it you seem to be making these assumptions about the audience and that's why you think that this is going to be a profitable endeavor but I don't make those same assumptions about this audience and when I look at this offer I think it's actually more headed toward this than for that and this mishmash right here it looks like it's going to be easy and I don't think it's actually hitting the mark how are you guys hearing that and now what have we said to that room if they're going to say oh no we need to go with this original plan they've got to have a better argument than I do so i've got to have that ability to present the best argument in the room quickly and we don't (laughs) as humans we don't we're very good at recognizing when something's wrong that's stupid that's wrong you're dumb but we're not very good at putting into language why we think it's wrong and so that's the that's the goal right and that's executives and that's teams that's everything and that's also thought leadership right when somebody says well, how, how do you know that when you work with that, say, a person who, who wants executive coaching, how do you know to to express them that way? Or how, how, do you, how, do you, how can they learn how to trust you? And the answer is because you have to be able to display the observations and the assessments that you're seeing. And you have to be able to do that quickly. And so there are a whole bunch of people who have instincts for that, but they don't have the language for it. And at the end of the day, the credibility of the service and the quality of that service is going to be delivered through its language.
1: What I like about that, besides the answer is, I mean, you answered the next question with your example, which was about why it's important to reflect assumptions in our communication to say, it looks to me like you are making these assumptions. I'm not seeing it the same way. And then, again, more credibility and uh, and so on.
0: You got it. Yeah, and let me just dive in with that for a second, because I think you'll find it interesting. The, what we start to realize is that we don't actually transfer our knowledge, right? If if the human condition is one ignorant person transferring to another person, we don't actually transfer our knowledge to that person, and that's that's a fairly difficult thing for a lot of people to 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 admit. Um, but once you admit it, you get an enormous amount of power in the world. You get, an, and honestly, it's funny. People don't want to admit that because they, don't, because they want money and they want to know that their services are good. The way to get money and to know that your services are good is to admit it. And then, and then all sorts of wonderful things happen from there. And so, and so we think we're selling our knowledge, but we're really not. We're selling the assumptions that we're making. And, and, and we're transferring the assumptions that we're making to someone else and they can check in on those assumptions and what they're really saying is when i when i get under there are you still the deepest person in the room are you still the person who's going to lead me through the, you know the best way to to you know make this decision at the executive board or whatever that are you still that person and if we're aware of our assumptions we have an enormous amount of, of financial and political and relationship control nice.
1: So as we're trying to build out, uh, build trust with a well-thought-out piece, if we're writing or making an argument, um, what else do we need to keep in mind besides our audience, the information we're trying to, or our purpose, and what their critical
0: response might be? Awesome. Uh, so, so here's what it is from, from my point of view. Instinctually, there are factors that go into a decision and there are weights that we are applying to those factors. So for instance, um, you and I probably both voted in the last presidential election. I won't ask, don't ask me. And there are reasons that you voted for the person that you voted for and there are reasons that I voted for the person that I voted for. And if now there are millions of factors that go into that decision. I mean, your savings, the tax rates you like, you run a business, you don't run a I mean, there are millions of them. And if I were to ask you, you'd probably come up with two or three key ones. Well, what we're really saying is Chris is applying a lot of weight to some of the factors, probably subconsciously, That go into this decision. So he has he has applied weight consciously or subconsciously to certain factors more than others. For me personally, I always think about who is the person that I trust to make decisions, which isn't always the person that I trust on issues. It's very this is just the way I vote. I'm not saying anyone else has to vote this way, but but it's the person that I trust to make decisions because there will be decisions of war and peace and there will be decisions of tax rates and there will be decisions of and, and I don't want any of that done by rote. I want all of that done with a really thoughtful process. So I put critical thinking as a factor that I vote on. And I do that not with the president. I do that with the dog catcher. Like, and so, and that, 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 but that's how I vote. You might look at it very differently. So, and so we have these weights that we are applying to things. Those factors and weights, the control. Do, the, the real question that the audience is asking on anything that we state, do you understand all the factors? Have you considered them all? And can you explain your weights? When you've got that, you've got the thinking part done. And now it's, who's the audience? What's the expected critical response, et cetera?
1: Got it. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think if, uh, about my response to that. But, like, yes, I here are my arguments and here are my priorities and what I think is most important and what I, what I put, put weight on, which tells you a little something more about me as you just did with your thinking. You say, I, and I totally get what you mean when you say decision-making, like because a president, for example, is going to make decisions somewhere along the line that based on an issue, you know you're not going to agree with. But yeah. you want to know how they will think about it when that happens.
0: Yeah. that That's where right. I sit in comfort. Right. Not everybody does, but that's yeah. where
1: I sit. Some people want the president to, you know, flick a switch up or down on all these issues and assume, you know, right. that's what they're going to get and yeah got it Um, right how about how do stories come into this process
0: love this story um, engineers get mad when I say this (laughs) but they can't but they can't deny it Um, story and data are the same thing and so if we really think about um, what is story It, it is an interpretation of observation or an interpretation of data. And sometimes data is third party tested and done in the laboratory and that sort of thing. And so the scientific version of that is your hypothesis, right? if we wanted to really sort of break it down that way. But that's what it is. It's a collection of data meaning that, that I'm gonna test in the world in a, in a data. And so, and so data, to me, and this is something that we miss, does not have inherent value. The only value that data has is how we assess it and and make use of it. And when we understand that, we begin to say, okay, how does that apply to our language and how can I show people the necessity of the data that I have collected or the use of the data I've collected if I want to, say, get more funding or I want to get people interested in this project or etc., And that's going to come through story. That's not going to come through data. And I think that's largely misunderstood and even in the scientific community. Well, Brian Morgan,
1: this has been very fun. I think I know people are going to learn a lot about, you know, establishing trust in your writing um, and should help people be much better in their marketing writing and their thought leadership writing. So thank you so much for taking your time and cutting another five minutes off of somebody else's meeting.
0: <laughs> it's awesome. Thank you so much for this, Chris. It was awesome to chat with All you. All right. Thank you so I'll much. Let
1: you. Thank you, listener, for hanging out longer than usual. I enjoyed talking to Brian and I'm taking his course and working on becoming not only a better writer, but more of a thought leader myself. If you made it this far, you're obviously digging the podcast. You also know a couple other folks who will like it as well. I'd be grateful if you'd share it with them. I have several great episodes in the can and lined up to record before the end of the year. I'll be back in two weeks with the next one. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.